Well, good morning, everybody. Um, can I, is it too early for me just to open this up with saying Merry Christmas? Merry, Merry Christmas. By, by the smattering of responses, I'll take it as a little early. No, I'm just kidding. Um, guys, we're so grateful that you are here with us today. Um, if this is your very first time, welcome. If you've been with us for years, welcome back. Uh, we're so excited to dive in and and I want to kind of start off that, again, if you are just joining us, you're coming right in the middle of a series called Turn Off the Dark. And Turn Off the Dark is about the idea of how there are certain types of darkness we experience in our lives. We've looked at despair in week one. We looked at fear in week two. We looked at guilt last week in week three. And today we're talking about loneliness. And so we're talking about all these things that are dark, areas of darkness that we experience and that might seem a little counterintuitive when we're coming into a Christmas season, but this is actually the perfect time for us to talk about these things because we know that because these darkness, these feelings of guilt and despair and fear and loneliness, they're real. Like we really experience them. And instead of just living in that darkness, we recognize that Jesus Christ, who we talked about earlier, came in and was born in the manger and he was fully God and he's fully man. And he came in as the light of the world who turns off the darkness around us because by the very presence of him as the light, that darkness has, cannot, be over, or cannot overcome the light. And so we talk about this idea of how these are heavy topics, but this is a powerful time for us to talk about it because when else will we take hold of the power of Jesus Christ as the light of the world than Christmas when we have Christmas lights all around us, when we decorate, but the reminder is that Jesus is that light and that we get an opportunity to get to know him a little bit better this morning. So we're excited to be with you today. Now I wanna share with you this idea, we're moving, our topic today is from loneliness to love because loneliness can feel like this very cold feeling, this idea of this chill of not being known or knowing others, of separating ourselves, of secluding ourselves, of, of making sure that we feel like we don't wanna be hurt, so we'd rather experience the coldness of loneliness rather than risk the warmth of true love. And that doesn't just mean relational love or romantic love, but the kind of love that God has for us, this gift love that we read about earlier. Now, I want to share a thing about loneliness because, you know, you start to see people, you know, I think throughout all the time, we see people who are maybe homeless or, or who are struggling or who are poor physically, and, and we see them, right? And sometimes some of us might, might, might be times where they're standing by our door and we, you know, we look straight ahead when they're right next to us at the car at the stoplight. Maybe we walk in and they're by a store, a storefront, and you know we pretend to look at our phones because we don't know how to interact. Maybe there are times in which we we don't mean to be mean, but we don't engage with them. And I remember reading recently um, about a player for uh, the 49ers who he wants he shared about how he you know, has a heart for the poor, but he talked about how he had a conversation with someone who was homeless years ago. And in that conversation, he was talking to this gentleman and the gentleman said, you know, this conversation is the first conversation I've had with someone in three years. And, and the reason that is, is that 
even well-intentioned people, people who want to do good things, sometimes we don't know how to engage with people. And so when we see someone who might be physically poor, that then we, we don't want to engage, we don't know what to do. And so, you know, it would be great if what we did is, you know, I remember I'm not a proponent of like McDonald's in general. So like, I'm not like a pro McDonald's person. I mean, the fries are great, but um, it's one of those things where, you know, there was a season in which sometimes maybe we would just have extra McDonald's gift cards in order to give out to people if they were hungry and they needed food, right? Maybe there are ways in which we just buy them a sandwich or we just let them know that God sees them and hears their prayers and, and that he loves them. And it's this idea of recognizing that all of us, maybe we're not physically in those same uh, places of poverty or destitute, but emotionally, there's something deep and emotional about the idea of feeling lonely. Because we might see someone like that in the front of a storefront or on the side of the road, and we think, oh, they must be lonely. And yet, we'll drive by ourselves, back to our homes, we'll close the garage door before getting to know any of our neighbors, separating ourselves from people, and then we'll go to work and we'll put on a happy face or we'll go to school to our classes and put on a happy face and won't really risk getting to know anybody else and then we fail to realize that we are lonely too. And we see that Billy Graham talks about this idea that loneliness is just this epidemic. It's this thing that is pervasive for all of us because we can utilize, we may think that because we have friends on, on different social media platforms that we have friends, that we know people. But what did we talk about nine months ago, 10 months ago in our friending series? I'm sure you all remember, please say you do. Um, but this idea that it's so easy for us to try to react or connect with people thumb to thumb, right? Where we text or we email or we do that and we fail to meet people face to face. This loneliness is pervasive. And so this is what Billy Graham talks about. And he's going to refer to Jesus here when he says, he came, he being Jesus, came to restore fellowship between man and God and to take away human loneliness. That Jesus Christ will take away loneliness from your soul. He will be your companion and friend. That we sang earlier, Emmanuel, God with us, shows us that we're not lonely anymore. Now, we don't gloss over loneliness. We don't say that it's, we, we make sure that we acknowledge it is a real feeling that we experience. But my hope is by the end of this sermon and by the end of this Christmas season, that we recognize that we do not need to stay in the darkness and the coldness of loneliness any longer, but that Jesus came to turn off the dark so we may experience the warmth of his love. So what we're going to say as our main point today is that when we feel lonely, it's hard to feel love. It feels cold and it feels difficult. But when we are alone with God, it's hard not to. We'll dive into the difference between loneliness and being alone. We'll dive into the story of Zechariah and Elizabeth in Luke chapter one and how they may have felt lonely, but how they were able to see how God worked through the midst of that. Will you join me in a word of prayer? Father, we thank you for who you are and we thank you that you are here in this place. And I pray for each and every person who hears my voice, whether they're in this room or listening online later. Lord, I pray that as we talk about loneliness and a topic that is difficult, a topic in which it's easy for us to build up our walls and to shut our doors and lock them for fear of letting people in, God, may your love warm and break down those walls. May they warm our hearts so that we would be able to receive the love that you have for us, that Jesus came to 
eliminate human loneliness because if, even if we're alone, we know that you are with us, God. I pray that I would decrease, you would increase, that you would speak in a personal, powerful, impactful way to each and every one of us. And it's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. As we mentioned, we're going to be in Luke chapter 1, looking at the story of Zechariah and Elizabeth. And as we, as we go there, what I want to uh, take a few moments to do is answer or maybe give some different areas in which we might feel lonely, looking at their story here. And so the number one uh, in your notes is this idea that we can feel lonely when life hasn't turned out the way we expected. Or... Another way to put that is that when life hasn't turned out the way we had hoped. And so we see here, verses 5 through 7, let's learn a little bit about Zechariah and his wife Elizabeth. Luke 1, chapter 5, or sorry, Luke 1, verse 5. In the time of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah who belonged to the priestly division of Abijah. His wife Elizabeth was also a descendant of Aaron. Verse 6, both of them were righteous in the sight of God, observing all the commands and decrees blamelessly. But they were childless because Elizabeth was not able to conceive and they were both very old. See, both of them were righteous. Both of them were living the way that God had called his people to live. They were doing the right things. They were performing the right, the right rites, the, the right ritualistic things. They were following God. They were devout. And yet, life hadn't turned out the way they expected or the way that they had hoped. And we hear this story and we think, well, doesn't God, like, God, shouldn't you give your people exactly what they want? I mean, God, don't you Oh, people who love you to do the things that they want most. And we may not say it that way, but we may pray it that way in the sense of saying, you know, God, you know, I'm doing all these things for you. God, it'd be really great if you could do this thing for me. Or Lord, don't you see my suffering? Don't you see my struggle? And, and don't you see that I'm doing everything right? Why won't you bless me? Or whatever it may be in which we have these moments where we think that God might owe us. And maybe Zechariah and Elizabeth saw that because they were living blamelessly. They were doing the things they were supposed to do, and yet they were advanced in age. What does that show us? That shows us that there's a loneliness that happens when people around you are experiencing life stages that you thought you'd experience by now. You had hoped that you would experience, and you maybe had expected that because you were doing the right things in the eyes of the Lord, that he should give you these things. And so we see that, you know, they had friends who would have had kids and got to see them grow up. And now they're old and advancing years and had never known what it's like to hold their child. That maybe for us, we, we know that we're trying our best, but man, our grades just aren't what they should be in middle school or high school or college. And, and there's a lot of pressure. And so we think, okay, God, I love you. And I want to go to church and I want to do all these things. Don't you owe me good grades? Or maybe we look at, we're not where we are in our career yet. We thought we'd be further along and more advanced and, and higher on the scale of, of moving on up, of upward mobility. Maybe for some of us, we don't even have a career when we thought that we would. Maybe for some of us, we thought that we'd be married by now. Maybe for some of us, we didn't know that we'd be divorced at this point. Maybe for some of us, we didn't know that we would lose a loved one and face our new normal. And maybe for some of us, like Zechariah and Elizabeth, we're hoping for a child. And we said, God, we're doing all the right things. Why aren't you giving me the cry of my heart? And 
whatever our expectations are, whatever our hopes may have been, when those times when they don't turn out the way we had hoped or expected, we're all faced with a choice to either run to God and trust and to keep being faithful, trusting that he knows what's going to happen. Or for many of us, we rebel and push him away. That it didn't say Elizabeth and Zechariah, they were faithful and devout when God answered the prayers the way that they wanted. It was part of their character. It was not contingent upon their circumstances. They fulfilled what the Lord had called them to do, but they were still childless and how heartbreaking that was for her and for them. But when we have these moments, we feel lonely because life hasn't turned out the way we expected. In those times, God shows his love by assuring us that he hears our prayers and he knows our future. He hears our prayers and he knows our future. Let's look at verse eight as we continue their story. Once when Zechariah's division was on duty and he was serving as priest before God. Zechariah was a priest. Let's give some background. He was a priest before God. He was in the certain division of Abijah, as we saw in verse five. And then each division would then be called to serve before the Lord in the temple. And then out of that division, there'd be one person who'd be selected in order to burn the altar or burn incense at the altar. So let's jump back into the story. Verse nine. He, Zechariah, he was chosen by lot according to the custom of the priesthood to go into the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And when the time for the burning of incense came, all the assembled worshipers were praying outside. Verse 11, then an angel of the Lord appeared to him standing at the right side of the altar of incense. When Zechariah saw him, he was startled and was gripped with fear. But the angel said to him, do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. Let's just stop right there. Imagine being in a room in which it's dark because they didn't have natural light in, in the temple and they're in the holy place and he's going to burn the altar of incense and the, the altar of incense was this idea that it would be the altar of incense would burn up and then there'd be a veil that would separate the holy place from the most holy place or the holy of holies. And so you burn the incense and it symbolizes the idea of intercession and of prayers that were gonna go over, above, and then go into the holy place because there was a division of a curtain, but they weren't allowed to go into the most holy place. So the way that their prayers would be entering into the presence of God through the tabernacle and through the temple was through the prayers of the altar of incense, burning up, going over the curtain, and then being able to land where the Ark of the Covenant was, where the presence of God was. And so it's in this moment where the people are praying around Zechariah and it's when he's burning the incense to talk about the prayers of the people that the angel pops up out of nowhere. Of course he's afraid. Do not be afraid. As we learned two weeks ago, it was a very common experience whenever we saw angels. And then he's saying that not only are the prayers that you're talking about, you're praying on behalf of the people, but your prayers have been heard. Yours. How do we know how he's being so specific? Because the very next thing he says in verse 13 is this. Your wife, Elizabeth, will bear you a son, and you're to call him John. This was not the angel Gabriel acknowledging the prayers of the people only were being heard, but that when we feel lonely and we feel like our prayers are, quote, what do we say? They're falling on deaf ears. This idea that we read when we did the child dedication for Emory, we, we read this idea of the fact that Hannah had prayed for his child and then God had given her this child and she dedicated him to the Lord, the child Samuel. 
that he hears you. He knows the times when your, te- your tear-stained pillowcases are there as you fall asleep. He knows the times that you cry out and you feel like you're lonely. He knows those times in which the cries of your heart seem to fall on deaf ears, but he hears you. He knows you. He cares for you. And yes, believe it or not, he loves you. Amen. And if we took hold of that, Even though we feel lonely, even though that loneliness is real, if we took hold of the fact that he hears our prayers, then we know that he's got a plan for us far beyond what we could even think of. So what is it just that he hears our prayers, but also he knows our future? Let's look here as we continue in verse 14. He will be a joy and a delight to you. And many will rejoice because of his birth, for he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He is never to take wine or other fermented drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before he is born. Real quick, this idea of never drinking wine comes from the Nazarite vow, which is from number six, and this is just kind of extra stuff. This is the idea of someone who makes a vow that's gonna be set apart. So he's saying, your son is gonna be set apart for an incredible purpose. In fact, he's gonna be filled with the Holy Spirit before he's even born. And we see this later in Luke 1, when Mary, with Jesus in her belly, meets Elizabeth with John in her belly, and John, inside Elizabeth's womb, starts jumping for joy. Like, that sounds painful. But it's just this idea of, like, recognizing that the Holy Spirit was in John from the very beginning. And then he said, verse 16, He will bring back many of the people of Israel to the Lord their God, and he will go on before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Let's not miss this, that if God is speaking through Gabriel, the angel, and saying, listen, I hear your prayers, and I'm going to tell you your future, that your child that you've waited for, that you've prayed for, that he isn't just going to be any other child that you're going to receive. It's, it's not as easy, or it's not as simple as any other child. He is here for a specific purpose. He's going to make way for the Lord to come, for the Messiah, Jesus Christ, to come into this world, and he's going to bring parents back to their kids. He's going to bring the disobedient face-to-face with their disobedience so they would become righteous, and he baptized people. John the Baptist did. He did all these things and he was able to prepare people for the coming Lamb of God, Jesus Christ, who took away the sins of the world. Now picture this. If God had heard their prayers, but if God had answered their prayers with the child when Elizabeth and Zechariah first had prayed for their child, then their child wouldn't have been able to be the one that made way to prepare the way of the Lord that the timing would have worked out, that they may have had their child, but he wouldn't have been able to fulfill this very specific purpose which they had set aside, that God had set aside for him to fulfill. That their future was far greater than they could have even imagined. But in order for that great future to be realized, they had to go through a painful present and wait and feel lonely and be alone. But God doesn't waste our pains He doesn't waste our hurts. And his timing is such that many are the plans in a man's heart, but it's the Lord's purpose that prevails. His purpose for using Zechariah and Elizabeth's child to make way for Jesus to come would only be fulfilled if Zechariah and Elizabeth's child had to come after years and years of waiting. 
God's timing is better than ours. Doesn't mean we always understand it. Honestly, doesn't even mean we have to like it. But we can trust it because we can trust him because he hears our prayers and he knows our future. Another way in which we feel lonely, number two, is that we can feel lonely when God needs to teach us something when we are alone. It might seem a little redundant. Why are we talking about lonely and alone? We'll take a few moments to look at that. Let's jump in before we do verse 18 through 20. Zechariah asked the angel, how can I be sure of this? I am an old man and my wife is well along in years. Notice he didn't say my wife is well along in years, like when his wife is around, he's a wise man. Um, And so it's when he was alone with, with the angel, he's like, how can I know that what you're saying is true? Because either A, he doesn't believe it, or B, he's afraid to believe it. Because if it is true, then God has answered his prayers. And it's hard to hope when you've been in the midst of despair. But we see, we continue on in verse 19 through 20, Gabriel's response. The angel said to him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God and I've been sent to speak to you and to tell you this good news. And now you will be silent and not able to speak until the day this happens because you did not believe my words, which will come true at their appointed time. Notice that Zechariah heard this word from the Lord, not when he was with Elizabeth, not when he was with the other priests, that God had to bring him into a place of being alone in order to truly hear his voice, to hear what the angel had to say. That Now, Zechariah would face the next nine months in his own type of loneliness and being alone. Why? Because he's not even going to be able to speak and to share what he had seen. And he's going to have this silence in his life in order to see what it is that God would have to teach him what is that God may want him to hear? And, but he's not going to be fully lonely. He may be alone, not be able to share it, but he's not lonely because God is still with him. There's a difference between being lonely and being alone. There's a quotation I found that says this, a person can be alone without feeling lonely. Since alone describes a state of being, And lonely describes an emotional response to one's circumstances. Most people don't feel sad when they go to the bathroom by themselves, for instance. So that's a humorous example, but this idea of being alone does not necessarily equate being lonely. Because there are sometimes we just need to be alone. And specifically for those of us who know Jesus and have a relationship with God, there are times when we need to be alone with Him to eliminate distractions to be able to tune into silence. And I wonder if we had times of silence, maybe not nine months worth like Zechariah, but if we had times of silence consistently, how much more would we know about the Father's heart for us? How much more would we become like Jesus? How much more would the Holy Spirit work in us and through us? And how much more would we know the love God has for us? See, there's a difference between purely being alone because alone again describes our position the opposite of being alone is being around people if you're lonely even if you're around people sometimes that's when the loneliness strikes the hardest because you see other people around you who are laughing who get to know one another you see people who are sharing meals together you see people that are inviting other people over and you get to see that Other people seem to have this connection, and yet, here I am, alone in a crowd. No one knows me. 
No one sees me. No one hears me. No one loves me. That, that isn't true, but it feels true. And because it feels true, it dictates how we are. And here's the painful thing about loneliness is that in a room this size, there are many of us who are feeling lonely this morning, but in a room this size, the likelihood of someone sharing, hey, you know what, I feel lonely today. Uh, this is a lonely season. I'm, I'm wrestling with the fact that this is the holidays and, and now the people with whom I would share my tradition are no longer with me or now there's a loss and I don't know how to navigate it or now I'm broken because of relationships that have now dissolved and I'm facing this season alone and lonely. And, and there may be people where the beauty of this is that if we were bold enough and confident enough to just share, hey, I'm struggling, then if everyone here that was struggling with loneliness shared that in a safe place, then guess what? We wouldn't feel lonely anymore because we would recognize that there are other people who are experiencing what we're experiencing. You know, I read a few weeks ago a blog about, um, from a famous pastor who uh, does leadership stuff, and he talks about how, you know, there's, it was, I think the title of it was Three Reasons Why Pastors Don't Have Friends. Um, that's not funny. I don't know. I'm just kidding. <laughs> uh, I'm just kidding. So one of the ones, though, is it talks about, you know, it's, you know because being in a pastoral role, it, you know, there, there is some loneliness there. There is a dynamic of, you know, what that looks like and navigating that and, and all those certain things. But you know what the number one reason this guy said when he said three reasons why pastors don't have friends is it just said, because consciously or not, you have chosen not to have friends. You've chosen not to let people in. You've chosen to separate yourself. You've chosen to make sure that, you know, you guard yourself. And again, that's what loneliness does. It keeps us comfortable in a cold prison, thinking that it doesn't, thinking that, making us think that risking warmth and risking love is too much of a risk. So we close off our doors, we make sure we lock and bolt everything, and then we just face loneliness alone when every single person who's ever experienced loneliness, if we were just open about it we'd be able to experience the warmth of his love, that the warmth would, burn or would, would melt down those walls of ice that we separate one another. And yes, I've been listening to the Frozen soundtrack a lot. So if you hear a lot of like frozen ice, anyways. Too soon? Okay. So, um, but in those times when we feel lonely, because God has to teach us something, in those times, God shows his love by revealing that there are some truths that can only be taught when we are alone with him. That there are some truths he needs to pull us aside and he needs to teach us some things and he needs to come alongside us and he needs to eliminate distractions and he needs to speak to us and we need to be silent in order to hear it. And in order to give an example of this, it's interesting how in verse 17 of this section, we see that Gabriel refers to Elijah. Now, Elijah was someone without going into his whole story. It's a powerful one. But we see in 1 Kings 18, Elijah was a prophet of God and Elijah was going against the Baal prophets and saying, you know, if whichever God can light up this wood and make a fire out of it would be the true God. And so first the Baal prophets go and, and they start calling out to Baal, but Baal's like every other idol. There's no power there. And so Baal, they say, you know, do this and, and light this fire. And they start cutting themselves and all these different things. And Elijah just starts mocking them. 
He's like, oh, well, maybe he's busy. Maybe he's unavailable right now. And so all of a sudden, they can't do it. Then he comes over and he pours water 12 times over the logs, symbolizing once for each time that, or once for each tribe of Judah or Israel. And he goes and he says, God, you know your God. Show up. That's not the exact wording, but that's what happens. And it starts burning. Then the Baal prophets are killed. God shows the people that he is God. The people respond to Yahweh as the one true God. And then what happens? Queen Jezebel tells, Elijah finds out that Jezebel wants to kill him. He runs off and he goes near a mount and he goes and he's underneath this broom tree. And what does he say? God, I want to die. I'm done. He can't even make it. And so he falls asleep and an angel shows up and gives him food, gives him something to drink. And then he goes to sleep again. And then he gives him food and says, you have to make a journey and go over to Mount Sinai, Mount Horeb, which is the same mountain. And then in that moment, what is Elijah's prayer? What is his cry out to God? He says this, God, I'm the only one left. Everybody else has bowed down to Baal. I'm the only one who hasn't done that. What is that a cry of? Loneliness. He feels like he's all by himself. God says, listen, I want you to go out and I want you to hear my voice. God wasn't in the earthquake. He wasn't in the wind. He wasn't in the fire. He was in the still small voice or as some translations say, the sound of sheer silence. The same silence that Zechariah is going to experience. He hears silence and in that voice, it's like, Elijah, what are you doing here? Elijah gives the same cry. I'm all by myself. There's no one else that has, you know, there's, and no one else has kept their knee from bowing down to Baal. And God says, listen, I have kept a remnant of a thousand priests who haven't. He's saying, you think that you're all lonely. If you'd be willing to share your loneliness, you'd see that other people around you are in the same boat. And you are not alone. But Elijah had to be removed from the crowd, removed from the loud, and removed from everything around him that would distract in order to hear the still small voice, the truth that we are not alone. That God sent Jesus to be Emmanuel, God with us. Now we see here, what is it that Zechariah needed to learn? Verses 21 through 22, and he starts to explain or tries to want to explain what it is that was going on in his life after the experience of the angel. Verse 21, meanwhile, the people were waiting for Zechariah and wondering why he stayed so long in the temple. When he came out, he could not speak to them. They realized he had seen a vision in the temple for he kept making signs to them, but remained unable to speak. And I just, this might be, I don't know, this is appropriate, but I would love to be able to see like what signs he was trying to say, right? Like he was like, okay, so in there and I saw like an angel, you know, like, Angels in the Outfield movie, Disney? No? Okay, I saw an angel, and he said that me and Elizabeth, my wife, we're going to have a baby together. And they're like, you're really old. He's like, I know I said that too, but I can't say it anymore. And then all of a sudden, he's like, and then he starts going, this is like, you want to steal second base? Like, what are you trying to tell me right now? And there's all these different signs that he's gesticulating in order to say. But again, it's this idea of like, they couldn't understand fully what was going on. They just knew that he had seen something. He was unable to communicate, but they knew he had seen something. So he was going to be forced into this season of being silent before God because he can't explain it to anybody else. He's being forced into the season of silence before God. What the scripture doesn't say is that uh, the nine months of him being silent were the happiest nine months of his marriage, according to Elizabeth. No, I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> but we see this idea that he had to learn a few things. He had to learn, that, that hit home for some of you. Uh, 
He had to learn a few things. What did he have to learn? I'm going to ask you to fast forward about 40 verses, 50 verses into Luke 1, 67, because we're going to fast forward for the story. And, and Zechariah writes down when the baby is born. They want to name the son Zechariah. He's like, no, no, no. His name has to be John. And so he wrote on an iPad, I mean a tablet, his name is John. And he gave it to him. And then once he said that, Zechariah's mouth was open and he was able to speak. And after nine months of silence, what is it that Zechariah says? What's the first word out of Zechariah's mouth? Verse 67, his father Zechariah was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied. What's the first thing after nine months? Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel. Because he has come to his people and redeems them. He's raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David. As he said through his holy prophets of long ago. Salvation from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us to show mercy to our ancestors and to remember his holy covenant, the oath he swore to our father Abraham to rescue us from the hand of our enemies and enable us to serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. What is he saying? He needed to learn that he and Elizabeth, they had expectations that because they were righteous, that God owed them something, or, or perhaps they may have felt that way. They had hoped that he would respond a certain way. And, and yet, through the silence, he learned that God would do more than he could ever hope for or imagine. Not just were they going to have a child, but their child, he was gonna, God was going to go over and above so that that child would make way for the coming Lamb of God, make way for the Messiah, make way for Jesus. That even though they were righteous, God was going to go above and beyond. What did he need to learn? That he also needed to learn that the, Jews, the Jewish people, they had expectations too of what the Messiah would do. Their expectations would that be the Messiah would come and, and that he would create an earthly reign and be a king over Israel. But in the same way that God was going to answer in faithfulness the prayer of Zechariah and Elizabeth, above and beyond what they had expected. God isn't just going to give the Jewish people a, an earthly king. He's going to be giving them a king that can take away the sins of the whole world. Amen. That sometimes in silence, when we are alone with God, there are things we need to learn that we couldn't learn, we couldn't be taught in the midst of the loud and the crowd and everything around us. So that when his time came to speak, the first thing he talked about was the faithfulness of God to rescue his people from the enemy, the faithfulness of God to redeem, to bring salvation, to remember the covenant, and to remember that there's nothing that we could do in our own righteousness. It's all God giving his gift love of Jesus, that we can't earn it. We can only say, let it be and receive it. Number three, as we close up, we can learn or we can feel lonely when we separate ourselves from others, when we make that choice to separate ourselves from others and not let other people in what's going on in our lives. Verse 23 and 24, going back to Luke 1, so turn the page back a page. Verse 23 says, when his time of service was completed, he returned home. After this, so he had a set time. That time was done. He had done his job. He's going back home now. Again, can't speak. After this, his wife Elizabeth became pregnant and for five months remained in seclusion. See, 
This word seclusion, I looked it up. There's a couple different commentators who look at it. One way, seclusion can mean the word covering. And so it could be this idea that, that she covered up her pregnancy by wearing baggy clothes or by trying to hide the pregnancy for five months. Some translations, though, or rather some commentators, more point to the fact of, no, 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 she actually cut herself off for five months. She didn't see people. She didn't receive people. People didn't know what was going to happen. So that way, when Mary comes in the sixth month, it's all the more joyous for Mary and for Elizabeth because she can now share her good news while Mary is sharing her good news. And so this idea of putting themselves in seclusion. So Zechariah was there, couldn't speak. Elizabeth was there, pregnant, but didn't tell anybody. And she separated herself. Maybe did she not tell somebody, anybody because she was embarrassed because of her old age? Probably not because she'd been praying for it for a while. Was she secluding herself because she wanted to wait until maybe the pregnancy, you know, survived the first trimester or so? Maybe, and, and that sort of thing. Was it because she had a hard time believing that this was really happening? Maybe. But we can feel lonely when we self isolate and we seclude ourselves, whether there's a good thing going on, like a long-awaited pregnancy we've been hoping for and praying for, or whether there is something difficult going on, like mental health and struggling and being bombarded and being overwhelmed or turning to different substances in order to heal or at least put a bandit over our wounds. And we separate ourselves because, again, we keep ourselves in isolation. But we talked about this in our friending series, so I'm sure you all memorized it. But this idea, 10 months ago, we talked about how, what is it that pris uh, prisoners experience when they are in trouble at the prison, even more so? Solitary confinement. That we as a people recognize, even in the penal system, that taking away community is a form of punishment. And yet, you and I, if we're not careful, if we don't let people in, we are self-imposing our own solitary confinement by not letting people in, by shutting the prison gates and enjoying, not enjoying, succumbing to the coldness of loneliness rather than risking the warmth of true love. So when we separate ourselves, we recognize that nobody else can really know what's going on. We aren't known and others don't know us. So how often do you, how often do you, when you are going through something either good or bad, how often do you seclude or separate yourself from people around you so they don't really know? And we do that because we want to protect ourselves, but in the end, we're just self-imposing solitary confinement. And we're embracing the loneliness when rather Jesus came to turn off the darkness of loneliness by being the light of the world. Lastly, in those times when we feel lonely by separating ourselves from others, in those times God shows his love for us by reminding us we can't separate ourselves from him. And let me be clear, this is not a theological uh, statement because we are separated from God from our sin. So I'm not saying that we, we won't be separated from God, that our sin drives a wedge between us and God. But if we confess our sins through Jesus Christ, God is righteous and just to forgive us of our sins, to cleanse us from all unrighteousness, that when we confess and we confess that Jesus is Lord, and we believe that in our hearts, we say it with our mouths, that then our righteousness has now been imputed upon, Jesus' righteousness is imputed upon us. We are seen as right before God as Jesus is seen right. So I'm not saying that, but what I am saying is that when we are in relationship with him and we try to pull away from God, that he still is 
in the business of passionately pursuing his people. Ever since when he walked in the garden of Eden to when he sent his son in a manger, he comes and he pursues his people. And we can receive that gift or not. But we can see in a few scriptures here how it is easy for us to feel like we're running away, but he still sees us. Verse 25 says, the Lord has done this for me, she said. And these days he has shown his favor and taken away my disgrace among the people. That in the midst of being lonely and alone, away from people, she knows that she's separating herself from others for whatever reason, but that God is right there with her. She's in his favor. She's receiving grace, removing disgrace, and God is in the midst of that with her, and he's pursuing her. We're going to jump ahead again to the final words that Zechariah said about John, his son, in uh, Luke 1, 76 through 79. He says, and you, my child, will be called a prophet of the Most High, for you will go on before the Lord to prepare the way for him, to give his people the knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercy of our God by which the rising sun will come to us from heaven, to shine on those living in darkness and in the shadow of death, to guide our feet unto the path of peace. See, even when we sin and even when we fall short and even when we flee from God, his, God's people were rebelling against him. And yet, what is John going to do according to 76 verse 79? He's going to show them a way. He's going to make a path. He's going to go before the Lord, prepare the path for him. He's going to give the people the knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of their sins that God says, I know you've fallen short and I know that you still sin, but I'm demonstrating my own love for you that while you are still sinners, Christ will die for you. And in some cases, someone might die for a good person, but very rarely would someone die for an enemy. But Romans 5 says that Jesus died for us while we were separated from our sins so that we would be united in relationship with God. And so because of that, he's saying, listen, the people rebel. We will rebel. We will fall short. We will need forgiveness. And yet even still, there is a message that we all need to hear, a truth we all need to take hold of, that even though we fall short, that there is a God who loves you so much that he sent his son from the riches of heaven to the rags of a manger so that we can experience not the rags of this world, but the riches of heaven so that we may have a right relationship with God through Jesus Christ that that baby that was born in the manger grows up to be a man who dies and that there's a path to salvation through him and through him alone that no matter how often we try to hide from him Psalm 139 says it beautifully. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. If I say, surely the darkness will hide me and the light become night around me, even the darkness will not be dark to you. The night will shine like the day for darkness is as light to you. But David in that psalm recognizes that when we love God, we can't run from him to the point where he doesn't see us. That we're never truly lonely when we trust in Jesus because he's Emmanuel, God with us. And even in our darkest moments, man, he sees us as clearly as he sees us in the light. Darkness is his light to him. We can't flee from his presence. He's everywhere. And yet he sees when we flee and he still calls us to return. See, if you're feeling lonely this morning, 
looking at those three different points as to maybe it's because God needs to teach you something. Maybe it's because life hasn't turned out the way you hoped or expected. Maybe it's because um, you're separating yourselves from people. Which one resonates most with you today? And then what can you do this week? Because this week of all weeks is a week in which we've got, you know, Christmas parties and different families to visit. We've got different traditions to upkeep. We have wonderful Christmas Eve services, 3.30 and 5 p.m. that we're going to be going to. I mean, we've got a lot going on. And yet of all the weeks and all the year for us to remember that we can move from loneliness to love, from darkness to light, for any moment for us to be alone with God, this is the week. Because this is the week that we carve out our time recognizing that God carved out Jesus coming in and he carved out time and he came in in the incarnation to be with us, to let us know that we may feel lonely and crowded, but he sees us, he hears us, he cares for us, he loves us. See, Luke 1 talks about the shadow of death, but Psalm 36, which we read earlier, talks about how priceless is your failing love, O God. People take refuge in the shadow of your wings. This word shadow of the shadow of death and the shadow of your wings and the contrast between that. I was playing with Elise earlier this week and, and we were on the ground and she was wrestling and, and she was like hiding right here in my shoulder. She's like, I can't see, I can't see. I'm like, why can't you see? Because I'm like, please say something profound because I have a sermon in three days. And I'm like, why can't you see? And she's like, oh, blah, blah, blah. I'm like, oh, well, not helpful. But, but it reminded me of this idea. It reminded me of this idea of the shadow of your wings. That think, picture this. Picture a baby bird and being covered in the, in the midst of a rainstorm or in the midst of whatever's going on, nestling into the crook of the mom or the dad of that baby. There's a picture I want to show you of me and Shaylin. This is within one week of Shaylin's birth. And I don't remember what it was like when she was that little. I mean, I do, but it's so hard to believe. And you think about Zechariah and Elizabeth, who they wanted for years to hold a child that size. But you see, in the same way that for a baby bird to be nestled into the shadow of its wing, of a parent's wing, guess what? Being nestled into the shadow or being nestled into a very classic gray robe, that's going to feel like darkness to that baby. It's going to feel like darkness because they can't see. But it's not the darkness of loneliness. It's the darkness of intimacy, closeness, and love of their parents. That the unfailing love God has for you today, if you feel lonely and you love Jesus, Maybe, just maybe, he's holding you so closely under the shadow of his wing that you feel like it's dark, but it's because he's holding you closer than you could ever imagine. Maybe, just maybe, it's because you're under the shadow, not of death, but under the shadow of his wing. And maybe, just maybe, it reminds us of the point that if when we feel lonely, it's hard to feel love, but when we are alone with God under the shadow of his wing, it's hard for us not to. Father, we thank you for who you are, and we pray, Lord, that we would take hold of who you are today, God, that we would recognize that there are times in which we feel lonely, and we acknowledge that. We don't diminish it. We don't um, 
take away from the, the, the reality of how we feel in those moments. But God, we also know that that doesn't have to be our truth forever. That we may be alone, but it doesn't mean that we need to be lonely forever. God, I pray that your spirit would rest in this place, that we would cry out to you, Abba Father, that you would hear our cries and know our future, and that we would be nestled under the shadow of the wing, which feels like darkness, but it's only dark because we're so close to you that we couldn't see anything else but you. So Lord, may we remember that you are able to do more than we can ever hope for or imagine. And may we remember that you are able to show us love that we could not fathom. We love you, Lord. We worship you now. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.